Well, welcome to my office. What am I doing in my office when we're supposed to be doing men's Bible study? Well, you, you know the reason for that. And I have to give you a heads up. This is a first. I, I've never had uh, two glaring lights in my office before, but it's necessary when you're doing video. We've had to pull this together pretty quickly. So let me just warn you, there might be a few glitches. We did a test run yesterday. Apparently, uh, uh, my face looked very, very pink. We've tried to adjust that. Uh, I'm afraid it might look very, very blue, and I look like one of the Smurf family today. I, I have no idea, but we're just going to go ahead with it and try to pull this thing off. It, it, uh, it'll be an experiment. But I'm grateful that we can do this because things have changed, haven't they? And they have changed quickly. So here it is, March 26th. Back on March 1st, we were still uh, in kind of normal life. The economy was roaring. The stock market was at an all-time high. It was a time of prosperity. The kids were going to school. Uh, we could have dinner with friends and family and go to church. and all. But all that's changed. All of that has changed. Harold Macmillan was prime minister of England at some point in the 1950s. Uh, Harold Macmillan was invited at, at a certain point to speak at Oxford, and he did, and then they did a question and answer period afterwards. And the first question that came to him was from one of the brilliant students, and the student said, Mr. Prime Minister, what is the greatest test of leadership? And without hesitation, Macmillan said, events, my dear boy, events. Now, what was he talking about? Well, what he meant was the test of leadership is, you know, there are two kinds of events. There's the events that we plan. You have a calendar on your iPhone. There used to be a calendar in the kitchen. Maybe there still is. We'd write things down or on this desk, I would have a big day timer. I don't have it anymore, but I would write coming events where I'm going to speak, where I'm going to travel, uh, family get together. Those are the planned events of life. But what Macmillan was referring to was not the planned events of life. The greatest test of leadership are the unforeseen events of life. And this is what's happened to us. Back at the beginning of March, everything's rolling along. We're going about with our plans. But our plans have been interrupted. They've been unforeseen by us, not by God. So... I'm going to do this mini-series since we can't meet as a group at our men's Bible study. And by the way, this next week, that men's Bible study that we've been doing at Stonebriar Church on Wednesday nights, this next week would be the beginning of our 20th year of doing that study, which is somewhat remarkable. But here we are uh, with unforeseen events, and so we're adjusting, and not just with meeting for a Bible study. We've got a lot of adjustments. I was doing the Psalms. I'm going to interrupt that, and we're going to do a mini-series here called Fighting Off Fear, because there is a lot of fear, and with good reason right now. We, uh, we have a crisis. We, it, it, you, you, can, you can nail it in three different ways. We have medical fear or health fear because of this virus that, that really just took us by surprise, but, but here it is, it's changed everything about the way we live. We are concerned about, uh, will I get the virus? 
Will I, uh, do I know someone who will get the virus? Uh, what's happening in New York City now is, is unbelievable. A lot of people, their lives have been, uh, they've lost their lives. Uh, they're in the middle of the worst part of the, of the disease. It, it, it's just, it's remarkable. There's a health crisis. If you have um, family in the medical world, uh, we do, we, we, we have two. I have a son who's a firefighter first responder, so he's making calls and dealing with this. Uh, if you're a firefighter, if I, I know of one firefighter and his wife, and they're separated because she's got a real problem with her immune system. So it's not wise for him to be with her right now. So all of these unforeseen events. Uh, my son Josh called me a few weeks ago and he said, Dad, are you, you, you familiar with this thing, this coronavirus, you follow it? And I said, well, a little bit. He said, you know, Dad, you're high risk. I said, well, what do you mean high risk? He said, well, you're 70. I said, yeah. And he said, you had cancer last year. I said, yeah, they got it early, it's fine. He said, yeah, but that puts you high risk. He said, Dad, you're elderly. I said, what? He said, you're elderly. Uh, we were on the phone, so I couldn't grab him and put him in a headlock. Normally I would have, but um, I couldn't do it. I'd never been called elderly before, but you know, he had a point. Uh, my age group is high risk, so we got to be smart. That's a health concern that I didn't have back the 1st of March. You didn't have these concerns back early March, probably, but now we've got concerns legitimate concerns. So you've got a medical concern or a medical fear. Then you've got a, a, a social fear of getting too close to people. You, you don't just go down to the store to, to grab hamburger. You've got to think twice. In fact, we're pretty much staying at home as best we can, which is the wise thing to do right now. And because so many people are staying at home and not out and about well, that leads to the third fear, which is the financial fear. Because the stores, many of them are closed. There is no revenue. Employers are having to let go some employees. Others, they're furloughing, hoping they'll come back when things get better. But this is hard. It's hard for the employer. It's hard for the employee. It's hard for everybody, and we're wondering can I make my bills? Can I pay my rent? Can I pay my mortgage? Can I? It's put us in financial difficulty when just a month ago we were just all saying, what a wonderful economy we have. Ecclesiastes 7 says this, consider the work of God. Who can straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, March 1st, be glad. Sure. We thank God for prosperity. It comes from Him. In the day of prosperity, be glad. In the day of adversity, today, consider, think, for God has made the one as well as the other. God is sovereign. His throne is in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. That's absolute control of all things in the world. It's absolute control of my life, your life, our kids, our grandkids. Now, I grant you there are times when it looks like things are out of control. But you see, the scripture tells us things are never out of control because there is a God who rules and reigns 
and who is good and who has a purpose and who has a plan that cannot be thwarted. That's the truth of the matter. So the fact that God is there makes a difference how we respond to this uh, fear, the, the medical fear, the uh, social fear, the, the fear of financial loss that we can't recover. Uh, what if I lose this or lose this? And you know what's interesting about these fears? When you, when you have fear or when you get anxious, have you noticed you never get just one anxious thought? Uh, anxious thoughts multiply. Psalm 94, 19 says, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations um, minister to my soul. So first of all, we never get an anxious thought. We'll think about, oh gosh, what if I get laid off next week? Okay, there's an anxious thought. But you don't stop there. Well, if I get laid off next week, well then how are we going to, oh my gosh, how are we going to make that mortgage payment? And then... And then what are we going to do? We got a car payment and then we've got this and we've got that and we've got utilities and, and you see, and boom, you're pulled into that whirlpool of anxiety and fear and you begin to panic. What is it that we must do? And we're hearing a lot about the word panic. A lot of people are panicked. Over the years, I've done a lot of traveling. I've been in a lot of hotel rooms, especially up on higher floors you'll shut the door and as the door closes, you'll see a sign on the back of that interior door and it says this, in case of fire, do not panic. The first thing, if there's a fire in that hotel, you wake up at 3 a.m. and you smell smoke, don't panic. And then it gives you some very clear instructions on what you should do in case of a fire. If you panic, you're not thinking. Back when C.H. Spurgeon, uh, he was maybe the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul. Uh, he would speak at the age of 19 in London. And believe it or not, 10,000 people were lined up to hear a 19-year-old preach. He, he was extraordinarily gifted. Because so many crowds were coming when he arrived in London, this church was kind of half dead, Suddenly, people were coming from everywhere. They had to renovate and add on to the church. So they were meeting temporarily at a place called the Crystal Palace, a big exposition hall. As Spurgeon was getting up to preach to these thousands and thousands and thousands of people, just as he was getting ready to preach, someone yelled, fire. Someone else yelled, the balcony is falling. And Spurgeon, with his booming voice, did everything he could do to say, don't panic. But it was too late. And people started rushing for the exits. And I don't recall the exact number. As I recall, somewhere between 10 and 20 people died that Sunday morning. Now, what was interesting is that none of them died from the fire. None of them died from smoke inhalation. Because... There was no smoke because there was no fire. It was a false alarm. But what happened is people panicked. And instead of using their heads, there was a rush for the exits. And people got trampled upon and people lost their lives. 
that was a horrible experience in Spurgeon's life. And I'll mention something else to you that's kind of interesting. For about a month, he was absolutely despondent. Uh, couldn't imagine ever speaking again, especially to crowds. But for the rest of his life, he would speak, speak to large crowds. Now, when you're a young pastor, that's kind of your dream. And most of us have, you know, small congregations, and that's, that's what we have. Wouldn't it be great to speak to a large audience? Well, he spoke to a large audience every week, and it terrified him because of what had happened. And after about a month or so, he got back into the pulpit. The pulpits in England were elevated. There was a staircase going up to the pulpit. And for the rest of his life, every time he got on the stairs to go up to the pulpit, he would say to himself internally, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because he knew, he knew, <laughs> his greatest fear was that that tragedy would happen again. And so his trust was in the Holy Spirit of God, in the power of God, in the control of God. That's where he put his whole trust. So here we are in this coronavirus storm. And it has uh, frightened us, it panics us, uh, I've always loved C.S. Lewis. 72 years ago, people were very, very concerned about the development of the atomic bomb, and with good reason. Uh, Matt Smethurst, who writes at the Gospel Coalition, Coalition website, recently quoted from Lewis and what he wrote 72 years ago. It is uh, incredibly relevant to us if you substitute the two words atomic bomb for the corona virus or for COVID-19. Lewis said this, in one way we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer or of syphilis, an age of paralysis, polio was epidemic back then, an age of air raids, an age of railroad accidents, an age of motor car accidents. He goes on and says, in other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. And he's dead right. No pun intended. Death is a certainty. From the moment we're born, death is a certainty. Now God oversees uh, the days of our lives. Psalm 31, my times are in your hand. Psalm 139, 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, David says. 
when he was in the womb. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. When I was sperm and egg, before I showed up on ultrasound, you knew me. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Watch this. And in thy book, they were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Not everyone lives to be 70 or 80. That's kind of the norm in our day. Some people live to be 100. Oh, that'd be wonderful to live to be 100, would it? Have you been in a rest home and seen people that are struggling? Um, you see, we, we have to be realistic about death. Not only can we not control the time of our death, that's in God's hands. He even is sovereign over the circumstances of our death. Some die early. Some die old. Uh, Hebrews 9 says, It is appointed for a man once to die, and then comes judgment. You can't die until your work is done. God has a purpose and God has a plan. Nothing can thwart it. Nothing can thwart it. That helps me. Let's go on with Lewis. Lewis says this, Since death is certain, this is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. And then he gives some practical things we can do. If we are going to be destroyed by an atom bomb, by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, first find us doing sensible and human things, like praying, working, teaching, reading, uh, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, in the pub, well, let's start right there. That's something we can't do. We can't get together anymore. Uh, it's just where we are. But dismiss that for a minute. You get his point. We just keep going about our responsibilities in life, and we pull ourselves together. If we spend our time worrying, in fact, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. God has given me responsibilities for today. And I've got to get those responsibilities done. Here's the problem with worry. Uh, worrying about what's going to happen in 30 days or in 60 days or 90 days. And whenever you worry, you're worrying about multiple things and you're getting anxious. Uh, the problem with going out 30, 60, 90 days and worrying about the future is that it saps the energy that I need today to do what God has given for me to do today. I, I can't bear that. That's why I'm to cast all my care upon Him because He cares for me. Are you concerned about 30 days out? What's going to happen in 30 days? Can I mention something to you? Jesus is already there. You worried about 30 days? Jesus is there. You worried about 60 days? What's going to happen in two months? Jesus is there. You're going to worry about 90? Whatever you're worried about in the future, Jesus is already there, and He's got it. If you belong to Christ, if you're a Christ follower, He has made us certain promises. This is how. What, what, did it, what, what did Lewis say here? He said, pull yourself together. All right, the question is, how do I pull myself together? Psalm 94 tells us how to pull ourselves together. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. What are the consolations of God? It's the truth of God. It's the scriptures. It's the promises of God. When I want to panic, when, when everything within me 
says that life is over and it's going to get worse and worse and worse, the Lord doesn't want me living under fear. He wants me trusting Him for today. So what enables us to pull ourselves together is thinking about God, who He is, and what He has said to us. In other words, our faith in Him has to be applied to where we are right now. You remember when the disciples got into the boat with Jesus? It had been a a very full day of ministry. Jesus was doing all kinds of miracles. Jesus was exhausted. You can find this in Luke 8 and a couple other sections of Scripture in the Gospels. Jesus goes to sleep. They're crossing over the Sea of Galilee. Now, Peter had been on that sea every day of his adult life, and storms come up all the time. But a storm came up unlike anything he'd ever seen. It was so bad, they, they thought they were going to die. They'd never seen waves that high. They thought the boat was going to be swamped. They were going to go down. I mean, they were going to die. And they got panicked. And here's Jesus asleep. And they wake him up, and they say, Lord, 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 don't you care that we are perishing? And what does Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus looks at the storm. He speaks to the storm. And it's instantaneously quiet. He calmed the storm. Their greatest fear was, um, was just taken care of. But now they have another fear. You know what it is? They fear him. Who is this that even the storm and the waves obey? Well, this is God. This is Jesus, the Creator. All things were made by Him and for Him and through Him. Jesus was the primary agent of the Trinity at creation. He's the Creator. He's the one that just stilled the storm, and He's my Lord, and He's my Savior. And He has adopted me into His family when I called on His name. And God is my Father. I am in the family of God. That's the truth. But these guys in the boat, they forgot all that. They panicked, as some of us are panicking. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his section in Spiritual Depression, a great book, in dealing with that that passage, he has a chapter called Looking at the Waves. And as he goes through it, he says, may I offer you a definition of faith? And it's a great definition. He says, in many instances of the Christian life, faith is a refusal to panic. I remember the first time I ever read that because I was in a very hard chapter of my life in my early 30s. In fact, I was in a pretty deep depression. I uh, I was crying three to four hours a day and I couldn't stop. I'd never been like this in my whole life. Uh, The Lord brought me out of it a couple of years, three years later, I, I, learned, uh, I learned some great lessons because my faith was tested. And, and this is what's going on with us. What's this all about? It's just another testing of our faith. Uh, James 1, count it all joy, my brethren. No, it doesn't say experience it as joy. It says count it. That's, that's what you do with your mind. When you count, you use your mind, not your emotions. Some translations say consider. 
That's very good. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. I mean, it can be a job layoff, it can be the virus, it can be anything. Think it is joy when you encounter various trials. Watch this. Knowing, there's your mind, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God uses testings of faith to mature us. It's in the storms of life that we learn that he can be trusted. And the way great faith develops <laughs> is out of little faith. But what happens, he'll take you through a storm and you don't see any possible way out and it might be a health storm, an economic storm, it could be any kind of, all kinds of storms. But you don't see any way out. And then what does the Lord do? He gives you a way out. He gives you manna. Manna is how he got them through the wilderness for 40 years. There were no Costco's. There were no supply lines. Uh, there was no food delivery. There were two million of them. And they never went hungry. Never. Never went hungry. Uh, that's how we learn to trust him. He has made promises and he doesn't lie. So you look back over your life and you've seen situations you thought you wouldn't get through. He got you through. And then what happens is that builds your faith muscle. And then the next time, and then the next time, and you give that 20, 30 years, and you know what? Stuff that used to shake you doesn't shake you because you know your God. You know who He is. You know that He's faithful. And what that does is it gives you a calm, and it gives you a stability, and it gives you a peace. When everybody is absolutely frantic around you, and they might, and you probably don't even realize it, but they're watching you. And they're noticing, well, you, that guy, he, what's with him? I mean, he's just pretty calm. He's pretty steady. He's just, what's that all about? Well, it's all about Jesus. And it's all about his word. And it's all about his promises. Andre Crouch wrote a great song after uh, going through a, a horrible time of physical suffering, and it was called Through It All. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Um, great song, but he had to go through it. And we don't go through it just once. We'll go through it many times. Uh, Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations, we must inherit the kingdom of God. So, Let's, let's wrap this up a little bit. How do we pull ourselves together? We, uh, we go to the scriptures. You should have some, what I call, core verses in your life that, that are automatic, that, that you memorize. You say, well, I'm not real good at memorizing scripture. Yeah, you are. Um, well, I'm really not. Well, take three post-it notes. I'm going to give you a couple scriptures here. Uh, you could write them down. Just take one this week, one next week. Write them down on three post-it notes. Put, uh, put one on the bathroom mirror. Put one in the kitchen. Put one somewhere else. Don't try to memorize it, but I'll guarantee you a week from now you'll know this verse because you keep seeing it. I want to go to Psalm 46.1. In Psalm 46.1, uh, there is a great promise and a great truth about God. 
Psalm 46, 1 is, uh, is bedrock. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So wherever you are, whatever's going, whatever's going on, He is your refuge, He is your strength. And He is a very present, right now, help in your trouble. He's not far off, He's aware. He's got His eye on you. Now, I want to point something out. In the New American Standard Version, which is very true to the original languages, there is a marginal reference right there. You'll see it marked. There's a marginal reference. There's a rough-hewn, uh, unvarnished translation out of the Hebrew for the second part of that verse. And let me read it with that. God is our refuge and strength. He is abundantly available for help in tight places. I'm going to tell you something. I love that verse. I have lived off that verse before, for weeks. You in a tight place? All right, here's the truth about God. He's not only available, He's abundantly available. Abundantly available. So the next time, the next, maybe it's today, uh, a few hours later from now, you start to get a little anxious, just say to yourself, Lord, I, or say to the Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you're abundantly available for help in tight places. Because He is. He knows exactly where you are. He's got a solution. He hasn't forgotten you. He'll supply the manna. Manna, that manna that showed up for them on time for 40 years, uh, manna is, uh, as John Piper once said, uh, we can come boldly to the throne of grace asking for mercy. The idea is there is that we can come boldly asking for a well-timed help. God's timing is perfect. He, he knows what you need tomorrow. He'll get you through today and then go to sleep, wake up in the morning. Lamentations 3.21 is a great verse. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. I quote this verse to myself usually within 10 minutes of waking up every morning. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Watch this, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. He is abundantly available for help in tight places. He's abundantly available for you if you're in Christ. So just lay it out before Him and watch Him work. You go about your work, you do your job, your responsibilities, and watch Him work. Uh, it goes on and says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Uh, any kind of natural disaster, we won't fear. Why? He's abundantly available for help in tight places. One more passage. Over in 2 Timothy uh, 1, verse 7. Paul said to young Timothy, who tended to be very anxious, tended to be very fearful. It was just his temperament. Paul said to him, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and love and sound thinking. God doesn't want us living in perpetual fear. He doesn't want us living in perpetual anxiety. But what I have to do is, 
as uh, C.S. Lewis said, I got to pull myself together. Well, how do I pull myself together? I got to think. I got to think biblically. And when I start to panic, I remember the truth of God and the promises of God. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Power is a reference to the Holy Spirit. That's why Spurgeon said on each step, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The power of God. God has all power. All power. Uh, Daniel 2, 2, somewhere in there. Daniel 2, it's in Daniel 2. Read the entire chapter, you'll enjoy it. In Daniel 2, Daniel praises God and says, all power and wisdom belong to you. God has all power. And, and His power is at work in our lives. To, he has given us life, and He will sustain our lives. He is our provider, and He is our protector. Now, that's either true or it isn't. And you might be feeling very vulnerable right now. He's your protector, and He is your provider. The power of the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on and says, He's not giving us the spirit of fear, but that of power and of love. Um, the love of God towards us is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Read Romans chapter 8. The love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And because of His love, we respond to Him accordingly. Jesus said the greatest of the commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And then He said the second is like the first, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in these times of crisis, let's get real practical. God loves me. He doesn't want me to be fearful. He's, gonna, he's, he's made promises to me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of my family. Uh, he's going to provide. He's going to protect. Because of that, I can take what I have and love my neighbor who might be in need. I heard a podcast Mary and I did the other day with Adam Ford, and he was just saying in their family, uh, they've gotten a little extra food. I mean, they're not hoarding, nothing crazy. They got a little extra food. Uh, it could be that they'll run across some folks that pretty much out of food. Well, if you got a little extra, you can pass it on to them. He said, and we've also got some extra cash. They're not hoarding cash. Um, he, he said, you know, we're going to run across some people that need some help financially. So we got a little extra. God's been good to us. I, I know of a gentleman whose business has been hit pretty hard uh, out of 37 employees. And they're, they're in the food industry business. Uh, he had to let 34 go. It, it, it was hard on him. He loves the Lord. His wife loves the Lord. But what he has done is he has made provision for those whom he had to let go to get meals from them, I believe, three days a week. Uh, he could do that. So you see, he's loving them because God has loved him. Uh, this isn't a time to fear. This is a time to show the love of Christ. This is a time to help others out. I know of another um, husband and wife who have been blessed by God. They have actually set up a special account for those in need. Uh, they've been blessed. 
Are they holding on to it? Are they hoarding it? Are they going to take it? No. They're going to give it to those who are in need in Jesus' name. Uh, see, this is, I, I hear, and it's, it's not a bad thing. Take a deep breath. But see, when you know these scriptures, my gosh, you can really take a deep breath. Uh, God is running the show. He's going to teach you some great lessons. And he's going to bring us through it. Jesus said, uh, uh, Psalm 23, in speaking of Jesus, uh, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. The, the literal there is, is even though I walk through the valley of deepest darkness. So when it says death, it's correct because the deepest and darkest valley we ever go through is death. But there are other valleys that are very, very deep and very, very dark. Even though I walk through, he didn't say even though I avoid, even though I tunnel under, even though I fly over the deepest and darkest valley. No, he said even though I go through, the valley of deepest darkness. I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. He's abundantly available for help in tight places. We're going to be fine because of the Lord. And um, he gives us a peace which passes all understanding. Let me finish with a, uh, a poem, a hymn that John Rylands wrote back in the early 1800s. It really summarizes the truth of God for difficult times. Sovereign ruler of the skies, ever gracious, ever wise, all my times are in thy hand, all events at thy command. His decree who formed the earth fixed my first and second birth. Parents, native place and time, all appointed were by him. He that formed in the womb, he shall guide me to the tomb. All my time shall ever be ordered by his wise decree. Times of sickness, times of health, times of poverty and of wealth, times of trial and of grief, times of triumph and relief. Plagues and death around me fly. Till he bids, I cannot die, nor a single shaft can hit till the love of God sees fit. So Father, we commit ourselves into your care. Bring the scriptures to mind throughout this day to calm our anxious hearts. Help us, Lord, to fight off fear by holding on to your truth and being a stabilizing factor in our families and with uh, friends we talk with on the phone and that we email with. May we pass on that stability that's found in Christ to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.